Strong Tower family, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Well, Strong Tower family, it is so good to be here with you today. You can all take a seat. And my name is Heath Zuniga, and my family and I, my, my wife Emily and our kids are back in the children's ministry, but we are uh, here in, uh, in the, the central Florida area. We moved to Kissimmee just under a year ago to plant a church. The name of our church is called Kissimmee Fellowship. And, uh, you know, we moved here from Ohio for kind of two different reasons. The first is that if you look from like Southeast Orlando all the way to Winter Haven, there are zero PCA churches in that stretch. And so we moved here because there is a big need in Osceola County. We are the first PCA church. And secondly, we moved because we wanted to plant a church con el sabor latino. We wanted to plant a church that had a little bit of Latino flavor. If you know anything about Kissimmee is that it is like 60 to 70% Latino. And so what that means is that's gonna, it's gonna shape the way that we plant this church. So for instance, in our core group that meets on Sunday nights, we have folks in there that don't speak any Spanish at all, and that is great. And we have folks in there whose Spanish is their heart language, and that's also great. So what that means is that we get to use two languages regularly where I will preach and teach in English, uh, but then we will have parts of our liturgy and songs that we sing every single week that are going to be in Espanol. And so it has been a lot of fun. Uh, we just started, yeah, building this core group in January. We're going through the Person of Jesus study, which I'm sure that many of you are familiar with, and it's just been a blast. And so one of the things that Pastor Ben uh, gave me permission to do this morning is that it takes the church to plant a church. And so what I'm asking folks here today is that if you know anyone at all in Osceola County, in South Orlando area, we would just love to meet them. We would love to have some sort of introduction to be able to share with them about what we're doing and why we're doing in Kissimmee. And so we have this like this flyer that uh, you could just come see us after the service and I'll be sure to uh, to, to, to hand that to you, you know, and, and also, I mean, if you, if any of y'all want to move to Kissimmee, you are welcome to as well. And so B Pastor Ben did say I could say that too. So, um, but yeah, so it, it's so good to be here with, with you all this morning. Let's uh, look at our text. We're in Ephesians chapter four. We're beginning in verse seven, all the way to 16. Let me go ahead and read it for us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far and above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature, stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, say that again, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end, Lord, that you are Lord, that you are El Señor. And Father, yet you have come to us. You have come to this world as a people. And as on, on Palm Sunday, as we celebrate that you entered into Jerusalem, not in a way that was highly and exalted and flashy, but in a way that was gentle and lowly. In humility, you entered Jerusalem on a colt. And people around in the crowds praised you saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so Father, we acknowledge your humility. We acknowledge the way that you served us, the way that you came to this world, Lord, in order that you might make us whole. And so, Father, this morning, as we, as we listen to your word, might we see Jesus more clearly? Might we love you more fully? Father, change us this morning. And it's your name we pray. Amen. And so, uh, just... Over a week ago, I got an email from a pastor friend of mine. We, we used to be, uh, we were part of this church uh, in, in Ohio. And the email said something along the lines like this. It said, when we first began to plant our church, I chose the name of our church because I felt that it spoke to our aspiration to bring transformation by the gospel to the place where we were planted. And yet after a great deal of conversation at the session level, a season of prayer, we wanted to unveil our new name, Rebelong Presbyterian Church. In hope of making this transition as seamless as possible, we will be working to bring together the talented designers and experts and creatives in our church to work through some potential visual shifts. He said, he went on to say, I'm a little nervous Please know that, you know, I don't know how this is exactly going to pan out, but if you have any questions, I'm happy to talk about this change with any of you. My door is always open. Rejoice, remember, re-belong. And then in parentheses, it said, happy 1st of April. It was an April Fool's joke. It was an April Fool's joke, and I had to like think twice about this email, about what was going on here, and I, I really thought that this was true. And so my six-year-old and my four-year-old are now kind of becoming of the age where like the April Fool's joke is actually something they're trying to like convince us with. They're, they're like throwing it at my wife and I. And, and you know, they'll say stuff like, you know, uh, daddy, guess what? I'm like, what? He's like, you have white hair. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, and he's like, April Fool's, you know? And, and so the, he's, he's starting to like come of the age where he's trying out these April Fool's jokes on us. 
But the point of all of this is that we can't believe everything we hear, can we? I mean, my hair probably is slowly turning white, let's be fair. But like, we can't believe everything we hear. And in the world of social media, anyone can say something about anything, right? And we can just post it out there. And then we scroll through with our fingertips and we're, we're constantly bombarded by all these messages of, of how to live and how to act and how to respond to this and that. It, it's overwhelming. We can't believe everything we hear. And so this is the heart of the Apostle Paul here in our text that, that Paul is writing and he's telling us that Jesus Christ, he builds up his body, he equips us to maturity so that we wouldn't believe everything we hear. So that we would have an ounce of discernment to be able to sift through what is true and biblical and what is not. And so, uh, as, as Pastor Ben talked about last week, that, that Paul has spent the, the first half of this letter just talking about this, this glorious power, and this vision for what the church can be. And in, in the, the text last week, at the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it's sort of like this, this hinge, right? Paul is now changing the emphasis in the letter, and now he's talking about in, in, light of how, in light of what I said in, in chapters one through three, now live this way. Consider this. In light of that, consider this. And that part of the mission of the church, as Paul is going to continue to unpack in the rest of the letter, part of that mission includes for the body of Christ to be mature, to grow up, to be more Christ-like, and so our text, it, it gives us two ways that Christ builds up the body. Two ways that Christ builds up his body towards maturity. So Christ uses gifts to build up his body, and he gives us a goal. So gifts and a goal. So let's consider uh, verses 7 through 13. Christ gives us gifts. And so Paul begins, begin this, begins this section talking about, well, well, when, when he, and he answers the question, when, when did Jesus give us these gifts? And he begins by telling us the answer, like point blank at Christ's ascension. So Jesus, like God would come to us in the flesh. He would become incarnate. He would suffer and die. He would be buried. He would defeat death in the resurrection. Amen. He would defeat death. And then 40 days later, he would ascend the ascension ministry of Christ. When Christ ascended, he did not leave us on our own, did he? He did not leave us on our own. Acts chapter 1 uh, verse 8 talks about the Holy Spirit that he gave us to indwell us, that God would be present with his people dwelling inside of them. And this Holy Spirit would be equipping us and gifting the body. 
So in the ascension, Christ did not leave us alone, but at his ascension, he gave us gifts. One of these commentators, uh, one, one of the commentators I looked at, he said this about, about the gifts that Christ gives. He said, uh, these gifts are not material objects or personality traits, but rather they are extensions of Christ sharing of himself with his people. That these gifts given to you and me, the body, are the extension of Christ's very heart and being with his people. Did we hear that? When Christ ascended, he did not leave us on our own, but he shares himself with us, this being with us. It's this this comforting truth to know that, that Christ builds up his body through the sharing of himself with his people. And so what are these gifts that, that Paul is talking about that, and, and that I keep talking about? What are the gifts? And in verse 11, we see this. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. These gifts that Paul's talking about here are, are leaders. They are leaders. And this is, this is Jesus's blueprint. He's the chief architect. He gets to decide how he wants to build his church. Amen. And this is Jesus's blueprint on how he sets up his church and giving leaders as the gifts to equip the body. And so before we get to that, we, it's important for us to know that, that the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, I mean, Jesus, right, is the perfect example of each of these, these gifts, right? I mean, Jesus, an apostle is one who is sent, right? Jesus was sent to this world, right? That he would be God in the flesh dwelling among us. The, the, the prophets, right? Prophets were the mouthpiece of God. They spoke God's truth for God. Jesus spoke truth as God. Evangelists, right? Evangelists would, would come and they would proclaim the truth, calling people to repent. I mean, that's what Jesus did. He spent time with sinners and tax collectors, calling them to believe in the gospel. And then shepherds and teachers, Jesus modeled this perfectly. John 10, that he is the good shepherd and that Jesus would go around constantly with his teaching ministry, teaching about teaching about the, the gospel, teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the perfect example of all of these gifts. And each of these leaders that have functioned or function today do so in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one just kind of quick, important to note, I'm not going to stay here long, but when we talk about the offices of apostles and prophets, these offices are actually closed today. We don't have the working functioning office of the apostle or the prophet today. For instance, one of the qualifications to be, to hold the office of apostle was that you needed to see the risen Lord. And since we can't see the risen Lord today, that office is closed. Additionally, the, apostle, the offices of apostles and prophets, they were, they were foundational in the beginning of the church. And since, and since you only lay a foundation once, we don't have the need for these offices in the same way that they did in the first century. Does that make sense? 
And so, however, though, that the, the, the function of a prophet in proclaiming the truth, of course, still exists today. And, you know, if you have any more questions about that, you can email Ben at strongtowerchurch.com, <laughs> right? So, yeah, so I don't want to spend a ton of time there, but I did want to mention that. So we talked about when, when has Christ given the gifts? He gave the, the gifts at ascension. We talked about what the gifts are and now why. Why has Christ given us these gifts? And these gifts, the, as the leaders, right, they're given for a specific purpose so that the, the saints might be equipped, so that the body of Christ might be strengthened, might be built up, might be mature. Anytime we look at you know, the, the, the gifts and the spiritual gifts, we, we have to recognize that the gifts are not given to us so that we may just sit with them. And No, they're given to us so that we might edify and bless one another. They're not just given to us for us to just sit there and enjoy, but they're given for the purpose of the edification of the person sitting next to you, that you might bless them, that you might build them up in their maturity. This is why Jesus gives the gifts so that the the leaders might equip the saints and so that the body might be strengthened. There's two things that Paul talks about here in, in terms of what is, what, to what aim, how, how does Paul want us to mature? And there's two things that he says here, really three in verse uh, 13. He says, you know, uh, we, we equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, here, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to mature manhood, so that our unity of faith might be strong, might be mature, so that our knowledge of the Son of God might be strong and mature, so that our maturity as we grow together might be cohesive and strong. And and so what the Apostle Paul is getting at here, what he is after is doctrine. He's after teaching I mean, do you see the emphasis on the unity of the faith so that we might all believe the same things, so that we might all grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Son of God? The Apostle Paul is just focused on doctrine here. But, but why? Like, why do you think Paul is so focused on, on telling us that, that hey, the, the maturity looks like being doctrine-focused, why, why, why is Paul concerned this way? But I mean, so think about it, think about it this way. What was the unifying element that, that each of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers did? What was so central to each of their ministries? It was the word, right? It was, it was the word of God. It was, it was the gospel that the apostle is someone who is sent to, to, to proclaim the word, that the prophets would proclaim and preach the word, that the evangelists would communicate and share the word, that the shepherds and teachers would shepherd one another around the word, that the teachers would teach the word. The word of God was so central. It was this unifying element to all of, of these leaders. This is why Paul is so doctrine-focused focused on, on what, we, what we believe, that the word of God and that the gospel might be just so central to all that we do as a church. 
the way that we serve one another, that the word of God would be central, the way that we, that we bless one another and use our gifts, that the word of God would be central, the way that we pray for one another, that the word of God would be central, the way that we, that we do mercy and justice, that the word of God would be central, the way that we preach and teach and disciple, that the word of God would be central. And just this big idea that Paul is wanting us to catch, that he's, that he's putting in front of us, is that, you know, we, we just can't believe everything that we hear. That we, as adults, cannot live with the discernment of a child. We can't live with the discernment of a child. If we're to grow and to be mature, that maturity in the body of Christ, it looks like that the word of God would be our filter as we sift through all of the teaching, all of the worldviews that are telling us how we should live, that we should do this and do that, that the word of God would be our filter through all of that. Paul continues in, in verse 14 and it says, it says this, you know, so that we, so that we are no longer, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceit, full schemes. I mean, can you imagine all of the prayer and counseling that my wife and I would need if we fell for every one of our kids' April Fool's jokes? Like, can you imagine what, like, what living a life like that would be like? How, how confusing, how unanchored, how chaotic, how tiring. If every single day my kid came home from school and gave me a new April Fool's joke. <laughs> like, that would be just, that would be tiring. And so as the body of Christ matures, as it is equipped by its leaders in biblical doctrine and in the word of Christ, we will no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves. As this happens, we will no longer be, be, be trapped by and taken away by every wind of doctrine and, and human cunning and craftiness and, and deceit. We will be anchored we will have this firm foundation. We will no longer have the discernment of a child because we will, we will grow up. We will be like Christ. This is the second point in, in, our, in our text today and, and the goal, right? Christ gives us gifts and he gives us a goal. This is the goal that we might grow up to be like Christ. In verses 15 and 16, it says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The point here in these verses that Paul is making is that the head directs and guides and leads the body. The head directs and guides and leads the body. The goal is that the body would grow up into the head. This is, the, the, uh, uh, this is Paul's way of saying that the body would be like Christ. 
For instance, if I want my arm to move, right, what is telling my arm to move? My head. If I want to kick a soccer ball, what what is telling my leg to kick? It is my head. Yesterday on the treadmill and I was running and my head was like, why don't you tell your feet to stop running? This This is exhausting. The head controls, it leads, it guides. And so for us to grow in our maturity, for us to grow in our Christ-likeness here in this text means that we would be a body who is word-centered, who is word-dependent, that the word of God would be our filter through which we view relationships and, and everything about the world. And growing in our Christ-likeness, it also means that you know, we wouldn't believe everything that we hear that we would have this filter, this discernment. And also what you see Paul doing here in, in chapter four, I think it's something pretty cool. He's, he's kind of talking about the individual and both the corporate. He's, he's, using, he's using phrases like each part, and then he uses phrases like body. And this, this, this balance of responsibility between both the corporate and the individual and here in verse 16, he says, he says this. At the end of verse 16, he says this. When each part, so talking about the individual, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Who do you think he's talking about when he says each part? You. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about us as individual parts and members of the body. That when each part is working properly, that when we have a responsibility, the body builds itself up together in love. The uh, Australian commentator on Ephesians here, he says this. He says, Christians are to hold forth the truth in order to bring spiritual benefit to others. And they are to do so with a winsomeness that only love can make possible. We are to hold forth the truth. We are to hold forth the doctrine, the teaching, the the word of Christ in order, in order again, that we might not have the discernment of a child, that the body of Christ would be equipped by its leaders to grow in its maturity, to grow in its knowledge of the Son of God, to grow in its unity of the faith. This is the point that Paul's making, that the gospel would be our filter. And so Paul ends by, by giving us a point of, of application. What, you know, what happens when we kind of get off track? Because all of the, I mean, this happens, right? Like, I mean, I'm a sinner, right? And, and I don't do things perfectly. So I, I need this text, right? And I need you all to speak the truth in love to me. And so, what does this look like when we get off track? Well, Paul says that we speak the truth in love to one another. That, that this action in the original language, it's actually this, this action in which we would, we would speak and we would act all in accordance with love. That speaking the truth in love means that we, we're speaking and we're acting in accordance with the truth. It's like this, this truthing 
is, is kind of how it's literally translated, that all of this truth-telling and truth-showing would be done in love. And it shouldn't surprise us that all of this would be done in love, because if you know anything about the person of Jesus, you'd see that, that Christ's heart again and again is for sinners. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners to the point that he was willing to be torn down in order that you and I could be built up. Jesus was willing to be torn down so that you and I could be built up. I mean, Palm Sunday is a perfect example of what it was like for Jesus to be torn down by people's words. Jesus entered Jerusalem to to a fanfare. People were excited, yelling shouts of, Hosanna, praise God. And then on, on Good Friday, what happened? Those same people were saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Kill that man. Jesus was willing to be torn down by people's words so that you and I could be built up. And not only torn down by people's words, but Jesus was torn down physically on the cross. I mean, on the cross, God the Father and God the Son were completely cut off. That Jesus on the cross was there in isolation, in loneliness, in shame, in agony, bearing the full weight of your sin and my sin so that we could be forgiven. The wrath of God poured out physically on the body of Christ, that he was torn down by God's wrath so that you and I might live. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's this exchange that happened on the cross that my sin and the wrath that I deserved for my sin was put on Christ and that the righteousness of Christ was given to us in faith. One commentator says that this gift of receiving the righteousness of Christ, it's like entering a paradise of peace with God. It's like being at the end of spiritual uncertainty. What would you give, he says, to know for sure that your legal acceptance and approval before God was as sure as the standing of Jesus Christ, his son? Friends, that's what happens in the gospel, that when we are given this righteousness of Christ, that isn't a righteousness of of our own, but from Christ, there's this peace with God. There's this assurance that we have, this approval before God that is cemented in stone because of the, the work that Christ has done. This is what we have in Christ, that Jesus was torn down so that you and I could be built up and love. And so if you're here this morning, and if you're not a Christian, if you're considering the claims of of Christianity, and you're like, man, I just have just lots of questions about this Jesus figure and about the scriptures. Here's the the one thing I want to leave with you, if you're not a Christian, to consider this. Consider this. What other worldview, what other religion, what other way to live would have its God coming to us to be torn down so that you might be built up. What other religion has that? 
where it's God would come to us to be torn down so that you and I might be built up. Surely the cross, it shapes the way we speak the truth and love to our neighbor, to our brother and sister, doesn't it? It shapes the way that shapes the, the manner in which we communicate the message to our neighbor, to our brother and our sister. And so as we think about before we go speaking the truth in love, we have, some, we have a little bit of pre-work to do. We have a little bit of, of gospel pre-work. Before we go speaking the truth in love to our brother and our sister, we have to remember the gospel. We have to remember that Christ's heart is for sinners. We have to remember to speak with compassion to our brother or sister. We have to remember to speak out of genuine concern for their well-being. That it is so possible time and time again for us to, to win the argument but lose the person. If that happens, that's not done in love. It's possible for us to go speaking the truth to, uh, in love to our neighbor and, and wanting to manipulate and, and, and change their hearts. Thank the Lord that we can't change hearts. Amen. Lord, the, the Lord Jesus does that. And so we, before we go speak the truth in love to people, we have to, we have to remember and do our gospel pre-work of remembering that, that, that we are sinners saved by grace. And then secondly, speaking the truth in love, kind of talking about on the receiving end, if you're, if you're to receive that truth in love from your brother or sister, what would it look like for us to make that process easy? Because sometimes it's not easy hearing truth like that. It, it stings, right? It, it gets at our pride. We don't want to be told we're wrong or what to do. Our hearts bristle at that, right? But what if by God's grace, we were able to make it easy for our brother or sister to speak the truth in love to us? What if we gave people the invitation to speak the truth in love to us? What if we gave people in our community groups or small groups or in our household the permission to speak the truth in love to us? What if we gave that permission to people? Do you have people that you've given that permission to, to speak the truth in love to you? Have you, have you given those people the permission to speak into your life, to come alongside you, for you to, to have the awareness that, that you need help and that you're a messy person and that you need help. And I'm a messy person and I need help. And, we, and, then, and then in this text, Paul says that you have one another. You have each other to speak the truth in love so that the body might be built up. And so we'll Kind of, we'll conclude here. You know, there's a lot of people speaking out there. There's a lot of, a lot of noise going, along, out, going on outside. And, you know, a lot of people are speaking, but they're speaking without love. There's lots of confusion, chaos. There's this tossing of to and fro. There's just this exhaustion that's happening out there because there's so much teaching to sift through. And so what Paul tells us is that we cannot live with the discernment of a child. That maturity in the body of Christ, it looks like that the word of God, that the word itself, Jesus, would be so central to our ministry, to everything that the body of Christ does, that in a world filled with half-truths and almost-truths, 
that the world might be captivated and curious by the body of Christ who demonstrates the whole truth, the true truth in word and in deed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a text like this. We thank you that you you, uh, remind us that we are not alone. You know, that the Christian life is difficult. Following you is hard. It is filled with many ups and downs. It is filled with joys and sorrows. It is filled with isolation and betrayal. It's filled with with deep trust and it's filled with, with loneliness. And yet, Father, you gift us one another so that we're all in this together, so that we might not be alone, so that we might have one another to rely on. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Strong Tower. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the ways that you are at work in this body here locally. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would grow up in our maturity, that we would have discernment, that we would allow the word of God to to be our filter to guide our actions and our decisions, our speech, our behavior. Father, might you show us what that looks like. May we see the person of Jesus more clearly as we look and examine the scriptures, as we, as we gather next Sunday to celebrate that he has defeated death and brought about transformation in our lives. Father, that we might be a body that that celebrates one another, that blesses one another, that comforts one another, that also speaks the truth and love to one another. And Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.